Hi, I'm Melissa Ritz, and this is Served, a podcast about female military veterans and their experiences in and out of uniform. Today, I'm joined by Annette Wittenberger, a retired Army major and disabled combat veteran. She's also a military spouse, a mental health advocate, and a keynote speaker. She's also a mother of two humans and four fur babies. Annette, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So we only recently connected through a Facebook page. Yeah. So I know we have a lot to talk about. You've got a very rich career having retired. How long were you in the military? 17 years, four months. So did you come from a military family? Did you know what you're getting yourself into? You know, I, I did not. But okay, so it's it's a, it's twofold. I, I didn't find out till later on in life that I did have a grandfather and an uncle that served, but... I didn't grow up around the military. So, you know, I didn't know my grandfather. He passed away when my father was young. And then my uncle, um, I really didn't know how involved he, he was with the service until later on in life. So I was like, hmm, I wonder, you know, if I got that in my blood somehow. But I didn't grow up around it. So I had no idea what this journey was going to bring me. And so how did that start for you? Did you go through an ROTC program? I did. So funny story, and I still tell my friend this. I have a, I went to an all-girl Catholic high school, and I had a friend who enlisted in the Army after high school, and I was like, oh, my God. You know, that's, like, not heard of in our school. And I thought it was, it was really amazing. And I've always been really fascinated with the military in general, but she really peak this this desire in me to to want to follow in her footsteps but you know being 17 and a half 18 I had a recruiter at the house I was about to sign my life away and then I chickened out I was like <laughs> you know what I can't do it I don't know what I'm going to do yet so I was really disappointed with myself because I was I, I was just not ready. I wasn't ready to do that. And I wasn't really mature enough to go off to a university. So after I did community college, I made sure that the university I wanted to go to had an ROTC program. So I did do that later. I didn't have the grades to get a scholarship. So for me to do ROTC was just that, you know, it was my own free will. And I thought, eh, I'll just try it, whatever. And I did the training uh, it, it, I want to say it was a nightmare because I grew up in a small town. <laughs> and, <laughs> but then again, it was like I had to prove something to myself. Mm-hmm. So I continued on with it. And by the time they said, All right, training's up. Are you signing or not? I said, Okay. <laughs> I said, I'll just do my three years, my four years, and get out. And it didn't happen that way. Where did you go to college? Arizona State University. Are you from Arizona? No. <laughs> I grew up in California, Simi Valley. I met a boy. Him and his family moved to Arizona, and so did I. <laughs> Aww. What was your major? I actually, so I started as a double major, psychology and photography. I had aspirations to be a child psychologist. Didn't do that. Dropped photography, joined the Army. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a bachelor's in psychology, so I <laughs> I have it. Just didn't use it the way I thought I was going to use it. So many of us don't use, yeah, the degree that we studied. So <laughs> what year was this? I got commissioned in 99. 
right before the world changed. Yes. yes. So what was your job in the army as a second lieutenant? I was a chemical officer. We trained for chemical warfare, the training that no, that everybody hates, and they don't think it's important enough, which is funny. So we are the ones who put on the mask, and then if you get gassed, we're the ones who teach you how to do that and just prepare you for all that ugly stuff. So where was your first duty assignment? Germany. Where in Germany? In Hanau. That's how we connected on Facebook, because this was around September 11th, and I... I don't know. I remember your comment that you were in Hanau. Oh, okay. Germany. And I was at Ramstein Uh, around that time. Okay. Okay. So we were, we were in the same location around that time. So you're in Germany from California to Arizona to Germany. Were you in culture shock? I was because backstory to that, (laughs) I, I was four months pregnant when I went to Germany. Oh, wow. Yeah. So brand new Lieutenant four months pregnant, go overseas. My husband's in the field, so I don't even see him for like a month. So I'm there. I have a sponsor, but I'm living out of a hotel on the economy. And I'm, you know, I'm 23, but I'm crying like a baby because not only hormones, but I'm in a different country without anybody. So I was like, what am I doing? Totally. And before cell phones with apps that made things easier, right? Yeah. You just had to get thrown into it and figure it out. So how long were you in Germany? Three years. And then? And then from Germany, we went to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri for our our next training. So this is about 2002? 2003. 2003. Mm -hmm. Is that when you deployed? I did not. So it was deploying. They they were going to deploy, but because my hus- husband came on orders to go back to the States, I, you know, I asked for permission to go back as well. So um, at that time, I had a three-year-old daughter and a two-month, three-month-old son, and we went back to the States. Wow. Okay. So going back to when you were in Germany, what was that like juggling being a mom to young children with the responsibilities of the military, especially with your career field in the midst of an invasion in Iraq? I really don't know how it happened. I, <laughs> I, um, at that, when I had my daughters, I, you know, we got our six weeks or 42 days of, of maternity leave and a part of me felt guilty to ask for more time. So I put her in daycare at six weeks old. And it was on another base, which wasn't too far from where I was already. And I think one of the one of the things that really helped me was the fact that we had amazing ladies there. And I'm actually friends with them still to this day. And they really cared for her as if she was one of their own. And I think that's really the only way I could have survived it. I, I don't, you know. And then I had, you know, I we lived on the economy, so I had a neighbor down the street. She was German with an American husband. He was retired. She helped me as well. So, you know, if it wasn't for people like that, I don't know how I could have done it. That's so hard. I couldn't, I don't want to make it sound bad, but I couldn't really rely on my husband to do it because, um, his, you know, his leadership role was different than mine. And it was almost a little bit more demanding. So, you know, I just had to, I was the mom. I just, that's just our thing. We juggle with no question. You know, we, we automatically take on that role of, I got it, you know, 
That's heavy stuff. And then you bring up the point of, yeah, your husband was also active duty. So you both had to go to work. So you went from Germany to Missouri and then where? We went from Missouri to Fort Hood, Texas, and I deployed out of there. And you deployed to where? To Iraq. And this was 2005, 2006. So I had a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh, my goodness. It was, it was exciting and nerve-wracking because I, I was offered a, a command slot. So I was a company commander and, you know, my first time deploying. So my mom moved to Texas. She moved from California to Texas because uh, we found out that my husband was deploying six months later. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I left, but I had to change my mindset. You know, I, it's not that I wasn't going to worry about the kids, but now I was in charge of 90 plus soldiers to take them down range and then bring them home. So it was a completely different stressor, you know, and being over there, I, I, I was fortunate. I was able to get a, a local cell phone and then we had video tele teleconferences so we were able to schedule those at certain times where I was able to see them on the screen and they could see me so that was mm-hmm. that was really cool we, we we were able to have that you know it just I don't know I, I, I really sometimes I'm like I don't know how we did it I yeah. really don't <laughs> it's great you had that community with you and that your mom was able to help you out um, yeah. But it's such a responsibility, like you said, with 90 people that you're responsible for. And do you know Do you know how many of those 90 troops were also mothers? Oh, we had a good majority of parents or brand new, you know, newlyweds. I mean, like just got married before we left. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Kids that had never left home before, just, just all kind. It was, you know, a mix of people, but we had to keep each other we were our family. That was it. That's all who we had. So I, I had to try to also keep up the morale because mm-hmm. we needed to keep our head in the game. Mm-hmm. And how long was your deployment? It was a year. Wow. Was your husband's also a year? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that sacrifice, it's remarkable to think back on, isn't it? Just everything that you had going on, all these different responsibilities with career, work, family, relationship. So you get back to Fort Hood, Texas, Mm -hmm. and then now you're back in the States. You've come from this war environment to Target, and Mm -hmm. it's such a different vibe. I did not deploy. I I got out in 03, but I remember coming back. I went from Ramstein to Las Vegas, and just everyone was partying. It wasn't on their radar what was going on. People were just, it was a different mindset. And it took a moment for me to adjust to. People just were going about their lives like nothing was happening. And I just was thinking about what was happening over there. Um, so I can't imagine actually having deployed for a year and then coming back to that environment. Your kids are now a year older. So did you have any time to decompress in that time? Not really, because my mom was there and she didn't realize how difficult it was. So she's trying to get me back in the game, you know, like kids do this, they need this. And and I, and I know I've lost, I lost my temper a a few times because I'm like, I, I can't deal with this right now. (laughs) Like I, I just came from completely different stressors and now I'm back here and I got to do bills and I got to drive them and I got to be a mom again. And it was just so, it was really hard to reintegrate because she didn't understand that she was putting all this pressure on me because she thought, well, you're their mom. You need to make sure you're back in the game. And and I'm sitting here thinking, 
ah, <laughs> you know, just give me some time. So it was, it was really hard. And then I had road rage and it was just all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I couldn't explain it to her. She didn't, she didn't understand. So it was hard. It was really hard to get back into it. And it took time. So correct me if I'm wrong. At that time that you're coming back and the military is adjusting to this new war and what you expressed, like having road rage and just readjusting, uh, the mental health component of the military, I think, was really starting to evolve. Mm-hmm. Was that a part of time where it was like you didn't really want to talk about mental health, but you know you needed the mental health checkup? Because I know some uh, people who came back from deployment and they were like doing paperwork and they're like, just whip through the paperwork or they're going to keep us here if we say that we have any any signs of PTSD and then the whole unit will be held up. So just don't document anything. Was that your experience or did you feel like there was more of a, a an open door to mental health without it affecting your career promotion? No, that was totally me. I whipped through the paperwork. I didn't want to say anything. I yeah. told, yeah, it, it just... You do. You think about that. I don't want to hold anybody up. I just want to get this done. I just want to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do you how do you process that? How do you even say anything about it? About it. So, yeah, I didn't. Were any services available at that time? There were. Military One Source, I believe, was a big one. Mm-hmm. But again, it's who's going to see me walk in and out of the clinic? Who's going to see me? Who's going to hear about it? It all those things just running through my mind, especially as a, in a, in a leadership role, right. you know, there's no way. So did your husband experience the same thing? He's so different for me. He handles things a lot different, but I definitely handle things a lot different because he was, you know, he's been in forever in prior service and active duty. So he, I guess I want to say he knows how to handle stress differently than me. I this was all new to me. I don't, I didn't know what the heck to do. So how long were you in Texas? Six years. But, you know, I, I also deployed to Afghanistan out of there. So when, how long between deployments did you have? About a year. Oh, a year no, 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 no. About a year and a half. Yeah. About a year and a half. But I, I had guilt because mm-hmm. the new unit I was with, was going to Afghanistan. So I was rear detachment and I volunteered for so many different things. I think because I just, it was guilt and I wanted to give back somehow rather than just sit in a desk. Although for those of you who don't know, rear detachment is hard. It's really hard. It's not just like, oh, I'm not deploying. I get to sit back. We were always doing something and we always had to keep families informed. And, you know, we were like the middle middle person to get information back and forth. But if there were casualties, you know, we were the ones that notified the families. And so I was one of them. I did casualty notification and casualty assistance. So not only did I notify, I also tried to help the family through that. Again, I probably not normal to volunteer for that, but I felt like I needed to do more. So much to the fact that I asked if I can go forward. I asked to deploy to Afghanistan. And my commander created a slot for me. 
Um, of course, family wasn't happy. Like, what are you doing? But I just felt like I needed to go. And so I only stayed a short time. I went twice, went for a few months, came back, went back again. But this deployment was, you know, a, a lot more difficult because of the mission. And with that mission, we lost a lot of soldiers. So that one hit me the hardest. That one was where I think it just, it really kind of broke me. So, um, from my, from my position, I wasn't the one on the, you know, on, on ground. I wasn't the one who was fighting. So I, you know, I can't imagine what they went through, but even me being in the talk was just like, wow. So yeah. What year was that? 2008, 2009. Yeah. Things were still so ugly at that time. Yeah. So then you you come back from that deployment and what was life like? That was your third deployment. I didn't know how to process that type of environment because Iraq was, we were in a safer place. So we didn't have to necessarily deal with all that. Whereas Afghanistan, we, we had a completely different mission and I didn't know how to process when our first casualty happened and I didn't know how to process <laughs> what the mission was. And, and then I, you know, I was able to go with my, my commander to go to visit the soldiers that were living off of mountaintops and all that was just like, it was heavy because we, it's, it's in our nature to complain about little things, but for me to see that they, you know, barely had hot water or they had to have their meals flown in or whatever the case is, was like, what do I bitch about? Seriously. <laughs> and, you know, it, we went and it was snowing, it was freezing cold and I was climbing up a, a hill in the snow and I'm thinking they're probably freezing their butts off and I'm over here. I don't know. It's just so many different things. I didn't know how to process it. And of course, how do you talk about that? You know, you, mm-hmm. I, how do you, Tell somebody, I don't know how to deal with this when everybody's going through the same thing. That is a great question. And I'm a girl. <laughs> so, you know, in a male-dominated unit, you know, it was an infantry unit. So, How many women were with you? We, I mean, we had a handful. We had quite a few. But, you know, I, I looked at all of them as, you know, badasses. So I had to live up to that too. Like, I don't want to be the one. I, so I would, we had time to de- decompress. So after work, you know, after, I don't know how many hours, 12 hours, we had a little gym. So I would go there, but man, I would be angry, you know, like fighting back the mm-hmm. tears angry because I didn't know how to deal with that. I get what you said about downplaying your feelings and how we can diminish what we're going through in terms of when comparing our experiences like your example of seeing Marines and soldiers living in the open on a freezing mountaintop without hot water, you're diminishing your feelings in comparison to someone else's experiences, but your feelings are still very valid and real. And regardless, if you don't address what you're going through, it's going to come out one way or another, you know, it's going to manifest somehow to be released. So what was that for you? Because you were managing those very valid feelings in addition to being a mom, an officer, married to a deployed officer. I think I just suppressed them. Mm -hmm. 
really did. I tried to be tougher than I was, mm-hmm. and I ended up turning into a bitch. <laughs> I mean, I really did because I didn't know how to handle it, and I, I, I couldn't be soft. I couldn't be weak, so I was going to be a hard ass, and I changed. I was not pleasant to be around, and it just it just continued year after year after that. I, you know, I sought, I sought therapy for a little bit, but then, you know, I, I went through like, I don't know, three different ones and I didn't like any of them or they didn't understand or they would say things that I'm like, that's not going to work. So it was just all these little things. And so then I stopped mm-hmm. and I coped the best way I knew how was through rage. Mm. And my angry driver mode has just escalated and I didn't have patience for anything. And it just, you know, it just got, it just kept increasing throughout the years. I'm not proud of it, but it did. (laughs) Thank you for being honest and sharing that. Yeah. It's a real thing, right? It is. Um, where was the rest of your career at this point? Like you retired at 17 and a half years. I did. So after Texas, you know, I got promoted in 2009 to major. So after Texas, we went to Kansas, Fort Leavenworth. And that's where we did our, our training as majors. And after that, it was, where did I go after Kansas? Oh, Fort Bliss. <laughs> Uh, I was uh, I was afforded opportunities there that were amazing, and so I just you know I just kept hiding or suppressing my my feelings, and I just kept going with the flow. And you know I retired out of Fort Polk. So after after Texas, we went to Fort Polk. My my husband got command there, and I went there, and I thought you know uh, I should be good for lieutenant colonel, but I was you know it was a little nerve wracking and going through the board and all that, and I was like, well maybe you know I should be okay. And I didn't get picked up. And that was it. That was the end of my career. They they offered me, you know, early retirement or I could finish it out in the Guard or Reserves. And that just that was like the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. I was I was I was pissed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I went even as far as talking to a recruiter to figure out, you know, what the heck should I do? I'm so close. And he told me, he's like, you should just take the retirement. It doesn't even make sense. Unless you just really love to hang around for another 10 years. Because at that, you know, that's how it just works. Active duty time and reserve time. It doesn't add up. So you have to spend more time in. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't just do the last two and a half years. It was going to be like another 10. And I said, you know what? Screw it. Screw <laughs> it. I'm done. And I took the early retirement. But before that, I had in my mind, okay. You know this. This should be. It should be okay. I'll get out. I'll get a job here as a contractor, or a GS civilian. I could still work the sol- with the soldiers because I knew what our mission was. We were the Joint Readiness Training Center, so we had all the soldiers that came in uh, before deployment to make sure they got trained and logistics and all that. So I thought it should be okay. But you know, they gave me six months to get out, and of course, I'm like, what are you gonna do in six months? <laughs> People used to get a year. So I'm already angry and I'm tr- I'm devastated and all my plans that I had in my head just went out the door and I didn't even go to my retirement ceremony. That's how depressed I was. 
So, and I felt guilty because I thought maybe I should bring the kids, but what am I, what am I celebrating right now? Nothing. You know, to me, that's what it was. So I went to the office, picked up my box with my flag, my certificate, my DD-214, sat in the car and cried. And was like, this is it. I'm done. And I went home and it was bad. I mean, I was so depressed that I had, you know, one of my NCOs call me. My boss was calling me. I wouldn't answer the phone. I was lost. Mm. And I think all those feelings over the years that I was suppressing, it was, it, it erupted. I was a volcano that was just like too much. I held on too much and I sat at home for months. My husband was just, you know, he kept asking me if I was going to write a resume and I used to be, you know, I used to get mad, like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just get off my case. And I didn't. I I said, I'm not, I'm not even going to work right now. I can't. I don't, I lost my identity. I lost myself. I was in a complete dark space. So what got you out of that space? So I really didn't want to live at that time. And I called one of my friends from high school. I don't, it was like one in the morning. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know who I am. I've made so many mistakes. I'm not myself. And she, she had, she reminded me that I had kids <laughs> that needed me and that I should be proud of my accomplishment. It doesn't matter how long I served. And, you know, all these things that people really don't want to hear but are true. It it took me a minute to really listen to that. And so I started to write. I got on WordPress and I made this account secret and I just started writing like really deep and dark stuff. And then I started a podcast and the first four episodes were really depressing. And I just stopped. I was like, this can't be my life. I cannot be in this such a dark place. So I talked to, you know, a few of my soldier, former soldiers that told me that transition was hard for them as well. And so I, I just slowly started to realize that I wasn't the only one who was going through this mental health breakdown after getting out. And I don't remember how I joined this Facebook group. I don't even remember. Somebody invited me. One of my, yeah, one of my friends invited me to this group and I found a website designer and I was like, I I am ready to, I want to do a website. I got to do a blog. I I need to do something because I can't do this. And he helped me design it and I, launched it. And that was it. It was like, whatever you didn't know about me, you're going to know now. And it was scary, but I felt like saying it out loud was the only way that I was going to heal for some reason. And what's your website? A wild ride called life. And your podcast is the truths we hide. Yeah. Uh, It's such a fitting title. It is. (laughs) And I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like both titles just came to me one day. And I said, okay, that's it. And I just went with it. You know, now it's like through my own self-healing journey, I need to I need to make sure that other people don't feel alone like I did. Not many people understand how we cope because I may be on social media saying it out loud and people don't agree with it. So I've lost friends, but whatever. But sometimes 
we need a place to say it. And if it's social media, then then so be it. There's always somebody scrolling. There's always somebody that needs to read what you just said. This is where God wanted us. Then that's where we're going to be. So were you able to then connect with people who were in your unit or people that you had been in touch with through your podcast? Like, how did you start? So you put the podcast out and you've got your website up. Who are the initial people that gravitated to what you were doing? Initially, it was veterans. Initially, I did have soldiers reach out to me and say, I am so proud of you, ma'am. And I'm like, you know, I because they didn't know. So that's that's who it was initially. But then I started to have people that weren't even military affiliated reach out to me and just say, I, I so needed to hear what you just said today. And I, I mean, in the, f- the first few messages I cried because I, you know, you don't know who's, who's listening or who's reading. And it's so difficult because you're being so vulnerable by putting yourself out there. I mean, my family follows me my cousins, you know, so all these people are like, wow. <laughs> little Annette, is, she's, you know, going through all this stuff because they didn't know. So now it's, you know, it's not just military families. It's anybody off the street because you just don't know anymore. Everybody's going through it. And whether you are, whether you go to combat, front line, or even back home, you can still develop you can still be depressed and and anxious and have PTSD from what you know from so many different things so Mm -hmm. I think it's important to to share that with the world that it's it's real and not everybody can just blow it off and it's coped with it within a month it's it's not like that through the process of connecting with people early on could you recognize that you were also helping yourself I was but you know that the, the crazy part is, I, so I thought I was good when I started this in 2016 to 2018. I thought, okay, this is, you know, this is what I want to do. I'm I'm feeling a little bit better, but I something was missing. I, I felt, I still felt like I was pretending a little bit. It wasn't until my daughter and I were in a car accident in 2018. I was taking her to college. You know, it was one of those traumatic ones where, you know, no one knew how we survived it. And I, you know, I was sitting in the hospital. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? (laughs) Just mad. And the doctors and nurses kept saying, oh, God has a plan for you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm just saying that's how it went in my head. Like, I I don't want to hear this crap right now. I just want to know how this happened. You know, five weeks later, six surgeries, all this stuff. My husband had to keep reminding me but you're alive. And I thought, well, I mean, I'm complaining about all these things, but you're right. And and it took, it's, you know, it's been two years, but it's, it took a while for me to actually realize that all my life, I don't know how I survived certain things. And I believe in God. I lost my way. Not, you know, not everybody's religious, but for me, all my life, he's been trying to give me chances over and over and over or even like hints at little things but I always deterred from it because I thought I I could do anything but this one thing woke me up to a point where I was I I just I just I was just speechless like okay I got it I, I I'm 
I'm, I hear you. Like this is, this was it. It woke me up. So ever since then, even through my recovery and, and trying to get my life back, I knew this was serious. This was my chance. This is what I had to do. And so ever since then, I've been on this mission to heal myself, but to, to also tell other people that, you know, it'll, it'll take time, but it, it can happen. You can heal through it. It was just my wake up call. And I knew that they were right. God did have another plan because I should not have survived that at all. So that car accident, you were, you were hit by someone who had a medical condition. He, yes. <laughs> I saw a YouTube video that you did. <laughs> so, sorry. so I watched a YouTube video of you giving, uh, you were a keynote speaker mm-hmm. and um, you shared that story of taking your daughter to her first semester of college, driving her to college. That had to be such a special moment. And then someone had a medical incident and hit you and caused this awful crash. He was on, I think it was pills for seizures. So he shouldn't have been driving, no insurance, and uh, swerved into the other other lane. And then you're in the hospital, you injure your leg, your daughter gets injured. I can, that mental health thing must have just, and then you're in a hospital bed thinking of all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Texas and my husband and my son are in Virginia. And I, I, I told them not to come. So I spent five weeks in the hospital uh, away from my family. My my sister-in-law came down for a few days. Uh, my daughter was able to visit me after four. She was in a separate, different hospital. My father-in-law actually drove to her to be with her for surgery. Then they came visit me. But it was just, yeah, it was just a freaking nightmare. Like, I told my husband, no, stay there with him. He needs to go to school. He he needs you. I You can't do anything here. So I had to process a lot on my own. But I think that's what really gave me clarity. I'm still here. So now I really need to get serious. Your daughter made it to college eventually. She did. She did. So that accident was two years ago. And what has your journey been since then? I got serious on my blogging, on the website, on not being afraid anymore to to use my voice, to say something that I that I'm no longer suffering from my mental illness, but that I'm living with it. And that I choose to recognize it. And so it took me a long time to say that. And I've been serious about it. This is it. You know, if you want to hear it, if you don't. But I I need to get out there to make sure that our voices are heard to, to help other people. You know, I started the podcast last year. I wanted to create another safe space for people to share their story. We don't have to downplay our trauma. We're really better together. We're stronger, stronger together. Yes, we are. So tell me a little bit about the advocacy work you're involved with. I'm, you know, I work with nonprofits um, that give courses to help us guide us through our, you know, our feelings and, and coping with them. And I work with um, TAPS, Tragedy Assistant Program for Child Survivors, whether they lost a parent or a grandparent, aunt or uncle, it's a family member to to um, combat, but they, they also have one specifically if they lost someone to suicide. So TAPS, you know, is an absolutely amazing program because you never realize how children cope with, with trauma like that. You know, sometimes they don't know how to voice 
They don't know how to talk about their feelings, so you need to show them how to draw it or through colors. And it was just absolutely amazing because I think adults need that too. <laughs> you know, that's why they have adult coloring books because maybe we just need to color. Joshua York Foundation, the father created the foundation because his son committed suicide. Um, Warrior Academy, he's, you know, he's providing classes on how to, on how to cope. There's, there's so many. And, and I, I really try to be involved with as many as I can to help them get their message out because they truly want to help, you know, other people. Hicks Strong, Hicks Strong, her, her son committed suicide. It's just, it's heartbreaking yet amazing how many foundations are out there that want to give back even after they went through their own trauma. So yeah, I try to do that. I'm, I'm writing a book, which is scary. It's a memoir and to show that I'm, I survived it. I'm here and I want to help other people through it. So yeah. All the things. I think back also on your uh, your college journey that you're a double major in psychology and like look at what you've been through psychologically with the mental health, but photography, you've got this creative element with your podcast and blogging, like you've really merged those. It's funny how that came back full circle, right? You know, you never really, never really think about it that way until later. You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, Annette. I applaud you for what you're doing because you're among the new generation of women in the military who've been to combat. And I know for me, when I think of a combat veteran, I think of men, predominantly white men, from World War II, Korea, Vietnam. But now that we've been in Iraq and Afghanistan for over 17 years, and more women are serving and deploying more now than ever in the history of the U.S. military, it's it's a whole new generation of war vets. And we, uh, I won't speak for everyone. I know I need to reprogram my idea of who a war veteran is, and you're helping to define that. So thank you for being vulnerable with your experiences. Thank you so much. And you're right. There are so many, we do have to reprogram our mind because there are so many women veterans that have died saving others. And, it, you know, I just, I look at their pictures and I'm like, 20 years old, you know, and we do, we have to remember that combat veterans come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's another reason I wanted to start the podcast just to educate people. Um, Cause I've said this before on other episodes, I'm constantly being questioned about my service and you mean your husband was in, um, you don't look like a veteran. Have you ever gotten those comments? I do sometimes. And, you know, I don't, I don't get as angry as, as others do because I, you know, I don't have to prove myself. I, I know what I did. Yeah. I know what I suffer from. I, I know. I just want to make sure my children appreciate, you know, what we both did. Cause it's funny. My daughter will always talk about her dad. My dad is an MP. He's a Colonel. And I'm like, well, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> But otherwise, yeah, it's, it's, it is difficult because there are people out there who, who think veterans are just the male. They forget yeah. about all what the women did, even if we're not on the front lines. So I like to ask all my ladies on the podcast, if a woman were to say she wanted to join the military today, what would you say to her? The same thing I told my daughter. To do your research, there are ways to, to be successful at it. So, you know, just research all the branches, research what you want out of it and, and try to go to college. 
ROTC program, I'm all the way with ROTC, but you know, it's, it's however you want to do it, but absolutely do the research. Don't just go to the first recruiter and sign off because you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> do your kids have any aspirations of joining the military? My son, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> My father-in-law is a Marine, so he he he's heard stories from that. He's seen what my husband does. He's like, nope, I don't I don't want to do it. But my daughter had, you know, she she dabbled in it a little bit, but she, you know, I, I don't as of right now, she, she doesn't want to do it. So we'll see what happens. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> they grew up in it. They got a taste of it. Well, Annette, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Thank you for having me. Seriously, it's been an honor. And thank you for listening. If you are a veteran in crisis or are concerned about one, contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, option 1, or visit veteranscrisisline.net. Confidential support is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. 